0: Late last night, while I was preparing, uh, Lisa and I heard something in our kitchen that sounded first like a raccoon. It was so large, but most likely was a cat-sized rat roaming around in our cupboard. And this was the first experience for us as a couple. And so we got initiated, and it was kind of traumatic. Uh, and so kind of to lighten things up at the end of the night, we're getting ready for bed and I was trying to lighten things up and kind of tongue in cheek said, you know, uh, in the morning, I'm going to wake up early and, and practice my sermon. I'll preach to the rat. And Lisa said, good, tell it to Fast. Today we're going to be talking about the topic of fasting. Fasting, simply stated, is abstaining from a staple in your life, usually food, in order to draw near to God. And over the last several weeks, we've been studying a section of the Sermon on the Mount that talks about spiritual practices that draw us closer to God. And in each one of these practices, Jesus draws out a vivid contrast in order to drive his point home he tells us the right way to do something and the wrong way to do something which is helpful because most often in our lives this is how we learn i think of myself when i took driver's ed and i remember these these lessons clearly because i took driver's ed 3 times some things that i learned was <laughs> some things that i learned was that there is a right way to stop at a stop sign and a wrong way to stop at a stop sign. And I still remember it because I heard it three times. What you do is stop, let yourself settle, check left, check right, check left again, and proceed with caution. I also learned the right way to parallel park and the wrong way to parallel park which I think if I would have got it back then, it would have made our transition to Chicago a lot easier. And thirdly, I don't know why they teach this in driver's ed, but I learned the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do when your hood flies up while you're driving on the highway. I don't know if they do this in Chicago. Maybe that's just an Iowa thing. And so they put me on a highway and they put me behind the wheel and in order to simulate that, the driver's ed instructor, without notice, put his book in front of my face. And so, in that moment of panic, I learned that the wrong thing to do is not to lose control. The right thing to do is maintain control, check your mirrors, and pull over to the side. I also learned, in marriage that there is a right way to kill a bug and a wrong way to kill a bug. Trying to be a hero one night, I discovered a bug in our bedroom and I took the top side of Lisa's flip-flop and smashed this bug and then I scraped its remains into the hot air vent that (laughs) blows into our room. This is the wrong way to kill a bug. Jesus tells us in our passage for today, in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, that there is a right way to fast and a wrong way to fast. And the difference completely hinges on our motivation behind it. Once again, it completely hinges on our heart. So because there is a right way to fast and a wrong way to fast, we must be careful to fast for an audience of one. This passage gives us three reasons to fast for an audience of one. So, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. While you're getting there, uh, just a bit of context. Each time that we've discussed these spiritual practices, Jesus has warned us of the reality of impure motives. Those who give for admiration, pray for attention, and fast for applause are like those described in Isaiah twenty-nine, thirteen, who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. Because ultimately, in each case, what it comes down to is the heart. It's about who is first in our hearts. Because if that's anything else other than God, we are guilty of what the Bible describes as idolatry. Idolatry is making God less important than something else in our lives. Whatever it may be. The most common symptom of this in the Old Testament happens when people made carved figurines more important than God. And for us, when we hear about this, it seems so clear to identify it as idolatry. They made figurines But God made the universe. And compared to the universe, the world is a speck. And compared to the world, we are a speck. And compared to us, idols, carved images, are a speck. These figurines are a speck of a speck of a speck. Compared to the Lord. But still to this day, We are making God less important than tiny little things in our lives. Tiny little things like admiration, attention, and applause that are a speck compared to the timeline of eternity. We live for these moments and they have become our new tiny little idols. And this is what we see described in verse 16. So before I read that, Let's just bow for a word of prayer before looking into God's Word more closely. Lord, we want to echo the statement of Samuel. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. We know that your Word is living. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. So I pray that you would get at us today through your word in a way that nobody else can get to us. That you would get to our hearts. That our hearts would be open to you ready to obey everything that you say. Help us understand this passage. Help me to make it clear. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, None of us can do nothing. We need you to put to practice the things that we will learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 16 says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And in this verse we discover the first reason that we must fast for an audience of one, and that is to avoid idolatry. The idolatry of the hypocrites is seen in the fact that they fast in order to impress others. They're not seeking God first, but instead they're seeking first their 15 minutes of fame, which is like that compared to eternity. And as we've been learning, the word for hypocrite that Jesus uses, that word is just a normal word for a professional actor back in those times. And Jesus uses it to penetrate the heart. To say to the hypocrites, your fasting is nothing but a show. It reminds me of how I'm often let down when I go and and see an inspiring movie. And an actor or an actress is just so noble that you want to be like them almost. And then you find out later that in their lives off screen they aren't as noble as they are when they act. And it's such a letdown. It's so disappointing. The hypocrites were inspiring others but disappointing Jesus who sees our true character. And this is the show that they put on. It describes it with two different descriptions. The first is that they made themselves look gloomy. And the only other time that this word is used in the entire Bible is in Luke 24, 17. And in Luke 24, 17, it's used to describe the facial expression of two of Jesus' disciples after Jesus was crucified. Their whole world was dashed. It says. Four verses later in that same passage, this is the disciples talking. They say, we had hoped He was the one to redeem Israel. Their dreams and their hopes were shattered. And this is that same facial expression that the hypocrites are driving at. And they accomplish that by disfiguring their faces. This is a weird word. Whenever I hear it, I think of making a face in the mirror when you're a kid or maybe when you're an adult. The other, the, only, the other place that this word is used is really close to our passage. It's in Matthew 6, verse 19. And it's talking about where the moth and the rust destroy. And that's our same word that's used right here. The hypocrites were destroying their facial expression. They're making themselves look dismantled. They're making themselves look unkept like a pile of bricks. And the point is that they were going way out of their way in order to get their way. And it says at the end of verse 16 that that's exactly what they got. They got their reward. They got their attention. And it was paid in full. It reminds me of a story that one of my friends likes to tell about his grandfather. His grandfather was a pretty successful artist in the late 1940s. This was at the same time that Colonel Sanders was first starting his franchises for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And Colonel Sanders actually approached my friend's grandpa and asked him to draw that little cartoon of his face that's still on their buckets to this day. day. And so my friend's grandpa did it. And as a reward, Colonel Sanders offered him either $10,000 up front which was a lot of money back then, or ten cents for every bucket of chicken that he sold. Isn't that amazing? This guy didn't know how good this fried chicken is. It was fried chicken back then. And so he chose the ten thousand dollars. And the sad ending of the story is is not that he got the ten thousand dollars. But that that was all that he got. He was paid in full then and there. And unfortunately, he missed out on a reward that would have lasted for generation after generation. And that's the same sad ending that we see in verse 16. Only this time it's at a much greater scale. This time, it's a tragic ending. The tragedy is that for the hypocrites... They loved fame more than God, so they got fame and not God. They loved their idol, and so they got their idol. But that's all that they got. And this points us to one of the most somber warnings that we see in Scripture all throughout it. And it goes like this. You will catch what you pursue. You will catch What you pursue. If we are pursuing selfish things, then we will get selfishness. If we are pursuing empty things, then we will get emptiness. If we are pursuing things that don't last, then our reward will not last and it will never satisfy. And if this is you today, if you resonate with that, it does not have to be you. You are never so far down the road that God is not able to rescue you. You may have been pursuing something so hard that you feel like you're miles away from God. But I'm telling you, if you were to turn this instant, you would notice that He has been pursuing you all along. He never gives up. But you have to turn to Him and cry out to Him. And He is ready to rescue you. God says in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, You will seek Me and you will find Me when you seek Me with all of your heart. See, you will catch what you pursue. For all of us in this room, regardless of where we are, if we pursue more and more of God, that is exactly what we will get. He will draw near to you as you draw near to Him. So fasting, in essence, is a pursuit. It's an intense pursuit. And the difference lies in what we are pursuing when we fast. In order to fast for an audience of one, we must avoid pursuing idols. The tiny, temporary things that we put before God. In verses 17 through 18, we see the second and third reasons to fast for an audience of one. It says this, When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The second reason to fast for an audience of one is to cultivate unique communion with God. I've always resonated with the author of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. In the line that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And as someone has already said, the striking part of that statement is that I'm prone to leave the God I love. It's not the God that I know nothing of. It's the God I love. The God I want to draw near to. But the reality is I still get distracted by lesser things. I'm like my baby cousin who got showered with gifts at Christmas, but only wanted to play with the boxes. I get distracted by lesser things. And God knows this about us. I think for most of us, fame, esteem and status are a real draw. And approval and applause are a real temptation. And the praise of others is a real distraction. But praise God that He knows this about us. This is not a surprise to Him. He knows how prone to wander I am. He knows how distracted I get from the things that matter, even though I love Him. And that's why Psalm 103, 13-14 has always been like medicine to me. It says this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. It's just like medicine because it shows that he knows we're going to get distracted. He knows that we're prone to wander because he knows that we're human beings. And that's part of our makeup. And because of that, He is gracious enough to help us when we are tempted, like we discovered last week. He shows us a way out. And in our passage today, the way out is a simple tip that He gives us in verse 17. It says, anoint your head and wash your face. It's a simple tip to get us out of this temptation. For Jewish folks in those days, this was their basic routine before they left home every day. And so for us, this would mean something like take a shower and brush your teeth. If that's something you do every day. And verse 18 tells us why. It tells us so that your fasting may not be seen by others. And this is the key idea. That if we avoid looking any different, then we avoid the temptation of others noticing and then asking us about it. Like, what's going on with you? So it's a good idea to prepare by, by getting ready like you always get ready so it looks ordinary. Wear what you always wear. If you're in the business world, wear dress pants. If you're a pastor, wear khakis. And if you're a college student, wear sweatpants. The key is to do what it takes to look like your ordinary self. So while the hypocrites went out of their way to be noticed in their fast, Jesus is calling us to go out of our way to be unnoticed in our fast. But even if you slip in that area, even if you catch yourself trying to impress somebody, press on and let it be a constant reminder for our need to, for grace. Don't throw in that towel that day, but keep fasting And in those moments, remind yourself that we need grace more than we need food. I can go a day without food, but I cannot go a day without grace. And those who come to Christ have an endless supply of grace. So, verse 18 goes on to explain who our audience should be God alone. And this is what it means by fasting for an audience of one. It's about coming to God away from distractions and meeting with Him in that secret place. And I just want to camp on a second in the fact that Jesus said to His disciples, You can meet with Me in that secret place. This would have been mind-blowing for them to hear for the first time. Because Jesus' disciples knew that all throughout the Old Testament and even up to their time, only the high priest could enter the Lord's presence one time a year. All other times, all other people were restricted from personal access to God by a thick veil that could never be crossed. But when Jesus died on a cross, that thick veil was torn into two, opening up intimate access to God for everyone who believes. It's amazing. This would have been mind-boggling to think they could have direct access with the Lord. And this is what makes the fasting described here different than fasting in general. This is what makes it different than a medical fast, which when my doctor first told me that I needed to fast, I was a little bit weirded out by it. What kind of doctor are you? It also makes it different than the fasting in other religions. It's this personal access to God that we have when we fast. When we fast, we are told to come to Him. Just like we're stepping right into the Holy of Holies. Not because our fast got us there, but because Christ got us there. And we can be there with God and savor that moment, savor that access that we always have, whether we're in public or whether we're in that secret place. Fasting is a unique way to savor this new communion we have with the Lord of the world. I want to take a second to describe this characteristic of being unique. Fasting is a unique thing and it's not that it's superior just something special about it something special about it like the way family vacations are special and unique growing up these were some of my most memorable moments with my parents and I think it's because it was always concentrated time together and always away from all the normal distractions of life and we just got to be together and be a family and they had to sacrifice money And I had to sacrifice summertime moments with friends. But it was always worth it. These are the things that I remember in my mind when I think back to my childhood. Because they're so special. And that's how it is with fasting. There's something special about it. Because we're spending concentrated time with our Father. Cut away from all the normal distractions of life. And it requires sacrifice. But we'll always find that it's worth it. And that these are moments that we will get special memories with the Lord. And it's also unique because it's tangible. Human beings are tangible beings. And we need tangible reminders of spiritual truths. And God knows this about us. So He embedded them into our spiritual walk. Communion is a tangible reminder of a spiritual truth. Baptism is a tangible reminder of a spiritual truth. And fasting is in a different category, but it's still a tangible reminder of a spiritual truth, of several spiritual truths. And I like to list these spiritual truths every time that I start a fast, whether it's in my head or on a sheet of paper. Because when I feel things in my body that day, I want them to point to these essential truths in my walk with the Lord. Hunger reminds us of the things that are fleeting. Because you can eat until you are full to the brim. I remember when Lisa and I went to a Brazilian steakhouse where you get all you can eat of the best cuts of steak, and it's brought directly to your table. It's amazing. And we ate for two hours steak nonstop. I think we shut down the restaurant. We were there till like 9.30. I wasn't hungry for breakfast the next day. I was still full. But the next evening, that night, I was hungry again. Felt like eating, even though I had been packed as tightly as I could get. And that just shows us it doesn't last Food doesn't last. Many things in life don't last. So fasting reminds us of that. It reminds us to pursue the things that last harder than the things that don't. We're reminded that Maslow's hierarchy of needs has got it wrong. Still more basic than our need for food is our need for God. God is the one who gives us food. God is the one who gives us life it says, in Him we live and move and have our being. It reminds us that the drive to do God's will is our priority. More so than the drive to feel good. That's why our key verse for today is from John chapter 4, verse 34, which says, Jesus said to them, the disciples, when the disciples discovered that Jesus was fasting, He said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. And often, feeling good and doing God's will aren't mutually exclusive. But sometimes, it is. And fasting prepares us for those moments. Fasting exercises that muscle. We are reminded when we fast to be content with less. We are reminded when we fast that our brothers and sisters around this nation and around this world are going hungry And we need to pray for them. And finally, we are reminded of our new identity. Because before Christ set us free, we were slaves to our impulses. We had to give in to their every dictate. The Bible puts it this way. It says, our God was our stomach. But not anymore. Our impulses have been dethroned in Christ is our king. And that is our new identity that fasting reminds us. So when we fast, we actually get to feel, to live out a reflection of these spiritual truths in a concrete way. Fasting is unique for these three reasons. It's concentrated. It's cut away. And it's concrete. Our passage closes by saying, Our Father who sees in secret will reward you. And actually, this is the last thing that we're reminded of when we fast. We're reminded that God Himself is our greatest treasure and that everything else, all of the gifts that we have in life, will never compare to the giver Himself. Ultimately, He is our greatest reward. So when we hear this kind of language of reward, we think of a gift. And the fact that we have personal access with the God of the universe anytime we want it because Christ has died to pay the punishment for our sins that kept us separated from God, that kept us apart from Him in the holiest of holies, but has now ripped that veil open is the most in- incomparable gift that we have ever been given. So, like any other gift, and especially this one, We are meant to appreciate it. And fasting helps us to do that. So, the third reason to fast for an audience of one is to appreciate our great reward. And this last reason recognizes that there is a difference between practicing something and appreciating it. To illustrate this, um, I'm going to share one of the moments that I regret. In my in my short time as a husband. I was still working at Latin School of Chicago a while back, and it's an hourly job. And I felt like it was a gift from the Lord to help us make ends meet. But I also felt the self imposed pressure to take every single shift that they offered me. So one week I had worked a lot of long hours. All week long. I had taken every single shift that they offered. And Lisa and I had, were starting to miss each other. So we made this big plan that we were going to spend the day together on Saturday in order to catch up. And Friday night, my supervisor offered me a fill-in shift for Saturday. And he offered substantial compensation for that. I turned him down. And that's not what I regret. What I regret is that the next day, when we were together finally, I kept bringing up the fact of the money that we had forfeited. It just kept coming up and coming up and coming up. I couldn't get past it until Lisa finally told me how it was affecting her. And I realized what I was doing. I was letting the sacrifice get in the way of enjoying the more precious thing, our time together. Please do not do this to God when you are fasting. Please do not let the sacrifice Eclipse the more precious thing. Your time together. The sun is 400 times greater than the moon. But because of our unique perspective, it can get eclipsed by the moon. And if we have a certain perspective in fasting, our little sacrifice of food can eclipse the greatness of our time with God. So we must not let complaining get in the way of appreciating our fast. But instead, I pray that God would help us to delight in the sacrifice of one thing in order to gain a far more precious thing, time with Him. So if you don't want to take something for granted, you do what you can to make the most of it. So I'd like to share with you four steps to making the most out of your fast. The first is to set expectations. When you prepare to fast, it's important for you to realize three myths that we often fall into when we're fasting. The first myth is that fasting ensures that God will answer our prayers. This view is represented by several quotes from rabbis during Jesus' day. I'll read to you a few. One says, fasting brings about and guarantees a divine answer. Another says, he who prays and is not answered must fast. And he who puts on sackcloth and fast must not take it off until his prayers are answered. And we're tempted to think that way too. And the problem is that this envisions a fast more like a hunger strike. You refuse to eat until God does what you want Him to. It's a strike, not a fast. God is not reluctant to answer the prayers of His children. Fasting is not to align God to our will, but to align us to God's will. The second myth is that fasting raises God's estimation of us. In other words, fasting impresses God. God. A good example of this is in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's found in Luke 18, verses 10 through 13. And I'll just read it to you. It says, Two men, this is Jesus talking, Two men went into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and and a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, for the Pharisee, fasting was just another item on his spiritual resume. And it can become like that for us as well. But I'm here to tell you today that we do not have to try to secure God's favor. Christ has already done that for us. Once and for all. That's amazing. We can just cling to His performance. Because we could never earn it anyway. Fasting is not about trying to impress God, but humbling ourselves in total reliance on Christ. The third myth is that fasting is an end in itself. And this view reduces fasting to nothing but a ritual. A ritual is something that you do, and you're just going through the motions, and it never makes an impact on your, on your life. And this problem was widespread in Israel during the time of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. They were treating fasting like a ritual. And the proof is that their lives did not line up with God's will. Because they were doing gross injustices. They were exploiting the poor, enslaving the needy, and ignoring the hungry. If you're interested in, in examining this, it's in Isaiah 58. And you'll find that God in His reply said, Your fasting means nothing to me. It's sobering. But it meant nothing to him because they were going through the motions and they were unwilling to live their whole lives in obedient submission to God's will. Fasting is an empty ritual if it does not come from a desire to do God's will with our whole lives. So those are the myths that we must avoid when we prepare to fast. The second step... For making the most out of your fast is to focus your fast. I know oftentimes I've struggled with getting into a fast and my mind is scattered. So ahead of time, we need to focus it. And the first thing that we need to, to decide is what exactly we're going to fast from. Obviously, the most traditional thing is food. And Jesus himself fasted from food so that's a, that's a good example for us. So unless you have certain health concerns or other personal considerations, fasting from food should also be our default. And this is because it's ideal, because it's a basic appetite that we are confronted with each day, but that we can go without. And also, especially we as Americans, we tend to structure our entire day around meals. So when we fast, we can structure our entire day around seeking the Lord. But you can also fast from other staples in your life, especially if fasting from food is medically inappropriate for you. And the key is to focus on something that you, one, look forward to, two, that you would feel if it was gone, and three, freeze up time for you to pray and it's important that it frees up time because often we're tempted to fast from things like chocolate or soda but unless you spend big portions of your day focusing exclusively on chocolate and soda consumption then it won't be as effective we want a lot of time to pray with God some examples would be fasting from TV or fasting from the computer Fasting from a video game. Fasting from a hobby. For Lisa and I, running is a hobby. And so we've talked and we're considered that once a month we'll fast from our long run and just take that time to seek the Lord together. And I don't think this will throw us completely off schedule. In fact, the Bible commends it. And another thing that most married couples schedule is something important that we need to discuss. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I couldn't ignore this. this. This chapter tells us that in exceptional times, a husband and wife can choose to abstain from sex on a night that they otherwise would, and instead, take that time to pray together. And it's, it seems strange. But can you, can you just imagine being side by side, bowed at the foot of your bed, Everything else closed out. Lifting your marriage before the Lord. This is this is a real this is a real option for us to consider, especially if we want to build a Christ-centered home and a love that lasts a lifetime. Go with God on that one. Uh, step number three is to fill your fast. And I mean in particular to fill it with prayer. Fill your fast with prayer like you fill a meal with food. All throughout Scripture, we see that fasting and prayer go hand in hand. Almost every single time that fasting is mentioned, prayer is mentioned. It's wonderful. Even in our passage, notice that prayer was the most immediate topic discussed. And then he, he talks about fasting. And I wanted to highlight one verse in particular, Acts 13.3. When you have time on your own, I want you to please look it up. It's about a church that fasted and prayed before sending off some of its leaders to plant a new church. For us, this is particularly relevant. And I, and I think this is something for us to consider. Because, because we're sending off Eric and Erica. And I don't want that to just kind of all of a sudden happen. All of a sudden, they're off. And I want us to be intentional about it. To fast and to pray. To show them that we are behind them. To fast and to pray that the gospel might be advanced in Mount Clare. Let's not let this take us by surprise. Let's be the kind of church that fasts and prays for the most important things in life. A lot of us tend to snack. So, beyond just filling the regular times that you have scheduled to eat your big meals with prayer, you can do little snack prayers throughout the day. Just like you snack on food Always be praying here and there. When you're in your car and you'd otherwise be snacking, pray a little prayer. When you're, when you're sitting at your computer and you'd otherwise be snacking, pray a little prayer. And in this way, we will develop an entire day that is oriented towards the Lord. And that's the goal. Step four, the last step, is to develop a plan to fast. Jesus tells us, He says the phrase, when you fast, two times in these three verses. In verse 16 and 17, He says, when you fast, when you fast. And again, this reiterates that Jesus' expectation is for this to be something that's regular in our lives and not sporadic. So I want to challenge us to strive to make fasting something that we integrate into our regular spiritual lives. I want to challenge us to make some sort of a plan. And I don't want to tell you an exact regimen, like, this is how you must do it. But I do want you to get alone with the Lord and let Him nudge you in this area. Maybe you'll fast once a month. Maybe you'll fast every other week. Maybe you'll fast on the major holidays and occasions that we go through every year. But whatever it is, plan it ahead of time. Because if you're anything like me, if you don't plan it, it'll never happen. So I want to challenge us to stretch ourselves in this way by making a personal plan to integrate fasting into our regular spiritual lives. Because we're seeking to really make the most of the fact That we can know God. The veil has been ripped. We have access to Him. And that is the greatest thing of all. So as I invite the praise band to come forward, I want to conclude by saying this. It's great to have a sermon on fasting. I'm I'm grateful to be a part of a church that does that, because fasting isn't popular. But the most, powerful, the most powerful thing will not be hearing a sermon on fasting. The most powerful thing will be experiencing this unique opportunity for yourself. That alone will speak much louder than any other sermon ever could. So in this coming week, we decided that we, we want to invite you to fast. We want to fast as a church. And I know that seems weird because we're not supposed to be noticed by anybody else. But we're fasting together not to get attention from one another. We're fasting together for accountability. And we're fasting together to put into practice our lesson from last week that a church that prays is a church that pushes back the inroads of Satan in our society. We want to be a church that prays. We want to be a church that fasts. So for those of you who can, for those of you for those of you who don't have personal concerns and medical concerns, I want to invite you to fast along with us for 24 hours this coming week. I want you to try as hard as you can to do it either Tuesday or Thursday one of those days, so that we can be doing it together. And what we're going to do is we're going to send out an email with some of the prayer needs that we're facing as a community so that while we fast, each one of us in our own secret place can be lifting these prayer needs up altogether. We're going to be praying for harvest of the first fruits. We're going to be be praying for our financial situation as a church. We're going to be praying that people in this neighborhood will come to know Christ. We're going to be praying... To send Eric and Erica out right and those who will be coming with them for the gospel to be advanced in Mount Clare. And you'll notice in your bulletins that you have a pamphlet that explains some of the guidelines and the instructions for fasting. Take that. It's extremely helpful. And also, take this opportunity to awaken in yourself a greater and greater hunger for God. A greater hunger to fast for an audience of one. So as the praise band begins this last song, I want to invite our prayer counselors to come up. Our prayer counselors are available to pray with anyone who is bringing in a need with them today. We can bring our biggest needs to the Lord. And our prayer counselors are here to help you lift them up to the Lord and see Him break through in your lives. So let's stand together to pray and to sing this last song.